0: Sound lounge
1: welcome back to the Sound lounge podcast this episode we're bringing you audio from the second evening with Bob event the creatives Bob's guests are Harry Shaw global creative director at Gray London and Neil Lancaster creative director at McCann Manchester. They share stories of memorable and sometimes bizarre ad shoots from Gondoliers to Black Panthers and talk about the delicate balance of art, science, practicality and cost that goes into choosing the right track, the right lyrics and the right version. But first, Sound Lounge CEO Ruth Simmons gives some more background to the incredible work of Nordoff Robbins. You can find the video of Akala visiting Headway East, which you'll hear at the beginning of this episode along with video highlights of the event and exclusive interviews with Bob and the guests at the event website, www.aneveningwithbob.com. It still remains a
2: mystery for me as to what the impact is and why it makes us so emotional and why things work and why things don't work. So we've d- dedicated this series of events uh, most of us to play music for pleasure uh, but we've dedicated this music event to uh, the Nordoff Robbins which is an extraordinary organization who use the power of music to heal. So if you just bear with me, you know Nordoff Robbins was started in 1958 by Paul Nordoff and Clive Robbins and it was originally designed for children with psychological, physical or de- developmental sk- disabilities. Today, their work extends beyond that with dementia, uh, heart patients, coma patients, uh, people with brain damage. Um, I just want you to bear with me while we play you just a short film for Nordorf Robbins just to show you another angle of how music works. And this is one of my favourite films from the Nordhoff Robbins. (laughs) ¶¶
3: I saw a music therapy session, you know, people came in who had various different injuries and music is part of their therapy. We just had a bit of a jam really, you know, we just got some keys involved and we all picked up a percussion instrument. You saw how instantly in the room music just already starts to sort of bring people together and pull people out of their inhibitions. <laughs>
2: What music therapy has done for you?
1: So it helps me remembering things. Mm-hmm.
4: It
5: gives me a different sense of what I can do and what I can be in the future. Music has helped me a
6: lot. Part of Akala's
4: visit was listening to tracks that have been produced by a young man called Jovan.
3: And Jovan has produced loads of hip-hop tracks. And he played with some of his beats and we had a mini A&R feedback session. I listened to a few of his beats as well on set, so that was
0: cool. We can't underestimate the importance of that
1: opportunity and just to have that recognition of his music, for Akala to signify to Joven, this is what music has given you, this is it's providing this resource in your life to help you with a range of challenges that he might face. To me,
3: m- music is, is everything an emotional guy, it really is there's no way to overstate the importance of music music is everything
2: so on your chairs you'll find a flyer from the Nordoff Robins if you could fill it in uh, they'll chase you up, I'm not asking for money here but they're just one of the things that they said to us, they're just happy that we're spreading the word for them Um, this is a An interesting time of the year. Um, Christmas for me, all my growing up, I think, was punctuated by the Coke commercial with the familiar, the holidays are coming, and the big red truck. In advertising today, uh, November the 11th signals the start of Christmas, with all the big retail stores actually competing for attention, and many of us waiting to see the John Lewis commercial. The one thing they all have in common is nearly all of them use music. And they usually use a well-known track and very few of them actually use Christmas songs. So what are they doing with the music? So what makes a creative team choose one track over another? What is that? How do they know that when they hear it, that's the track? And are they always right? I'd like now to hand you over to our wonderful Bob Harris who will, over the next five, uh, 90 minutes, will aim to find from our wonderful guests, Harry Shaw, who's the global creative director for Grey, and Neil Lancaster, who's the executive creative director for McCann's, just what does go on in a creative's head.
0: Very good. Very good. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ruth. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, as Ruth said, thanks very much to everybody who uh, was here last time and has come back. I have to say, you're probably a glutton for punishment, but uh, it's going to be an amazing evening. Uh, it's great to see you here tonight, Les. Le- Les was up here with us uh, uh, on the podium, as it were, uh, during our conversation last month. And uh, tonight is Harry and Neil who are, are with me. And between us, just to start with, I just want to establish the stepping stones into where we are, because you and I, Harry, we discovered last week when we began to chat, wasn't it, that our arrival in London was at pretty much the same time in the same kind of way. In the
5: same street and just a few doors away. Uh, I started in 80 Charlotte Street in 1967, and Bob, was it seventy-two Charlotte Street yeah. in nineteen sixty-seven? <laughs> and we used to go to the same
0: Greek restaurants and I mean, enjoy. Yeah, what the, an extraordinary uh, but wonderful and coincidence yeah. this proved to be. And I mean, you, you arrived in London in much the same way I, I did, or at least arrived in the in the industry, if you want to put it like that, without any contacts necessary. Did you, Harry? You didn't know people, and there wasn't somebody guiding you through. You 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 came in and on your own steam I
5: I, I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anything I I thought that uh, because I used to read the Beano a lot and I remember there was one one panel from the Beano where somebody was at the uh, BBC or ITV or whatever it was called and and they gave somebody a, a can and said it's on the air tonight can you put it on and I thought that was appetizing I thought it was uh it was done like that. I didn't know there were things called agencies. I thought agencies were CIA places, or
0: they—they they weren't things that you could progress through at all. Yeah, it was all new. I mean, it was an incredible time. You have to say um, the counterculture in London in, was was bursting through in in multicolour, wasn't it? It was just a psychedelic time. It was a, it was the time of the underground places like Middle Earth. My son Dylan is here tonight, and he says when they perfect time travel, uh, and you go on time travel packaging <laughs> holidays, which mm. eventually, I'm sure, will happen, then he's got to book himself into mm. uh, Time With Me in 1968. Yeah. <laughs> which, because yeah. which, uh, I mean, it was, it was such an exciting time. I was, the music was so diverse. That was uh, one of the other things about it was, that it moment. Was,
5: it was the music. It was the football team, because we won the World Cup the year before. Everything was up, if you like. I mean, the Beatles were going to something different every week and if you love the Beatles as everybody did then you were trying to guess what they were going to do next it was it, it was the most sort of rolling time and then the Rolling Stones were out as well and yeah. they were they made this fake clash against the Beatles so there was some kind of tension between the two. Yes. And you had to take sides. You had yes, to like one or, or the other. You were the
0: Beatles or the Stones. It was hard to be both. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there
5: were radio programs, which were Stones v. Beatles, yeah. if you remember. on the, yeah. Alan Freeman, I think, was,
0: was doing this. And, and it wasn't just music, though. I mean, the whole cultural scene in London at that time, it was, it was very diverse. I mean, theater, crazy theater, film, fashion, uh, you know, Mary Quant, uh, Twiggy, Gene Shrimpton films like Blow Up, Bands Like the Yardbirds appearing in films like Blow Up. It was all an amazing energy that, that, that was pumping out, obviously not just from London, from Liverpool. I mean, it felt like at the time the UK was kind of the centre of everything that was happening uh, for young people's culture in the world at, the, at, the, at that moment.
5: Well, there was Hair, If you remember Hair? Yeah. Well, yeah. Hair came out in 67 or 68, mm. and that was the first time anybody took their clothes off in front of anybody else
0: it, it seemed. It was the liberated moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, similarly, Neil, I mean, your 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 personal connection with music, I mean, we, I'm going to talk to both of you to talk about how music moves you in a second, but uh, I mean, are you still living in Morris's old flat? I'm still
4: living in Morris's old flat.
0: Did, 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 did you but know the, this? The, the, the d-
4: visitors have dwindled. Who knows why?
0: Because <laughs> did you not charge people for... We for did, yeah, we...
4: We used to get Japanese, not always Japanese, but tourists that would knock on the door. And I had an old pair of 501s, which weren't Morris's, but you could pay a pound to stroke them. This <laughs> is it's all true. And uh, it's actually quite a gloomy place, which made me gloomy. And it's got an air of melancholy. And I, can, I, I, I still don't know which songs he wrote there. Johnny Marr still lives. He knows I'm miserable now. Yeah. Well. well, you will be in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, Johnny Mars still lives there, uh, not in the house, but a, a, about a mile away. And then, so there's still that sense of place. And um, and his mother still lives around the corner. So when he comes back to Manchester, which is very rare, he uh, usually see him posting a letter or something like that. So yeah.
0: Because we, we were talking just then about the London scene in the 60s, but I mean, you know, the Manchester scene, yeah, a bit later was an incredible scene in itself, wasn't yeah, it? very much so. Night, the 90s and in particular, I would say, with the Oasis, and
4: yeah, and, and the epicenter, of course, was you know, the Hacienda, yeah. which is now flats, and uh, it just goes to show with the council, and very they just don't you don't know what you've got till it's gone, and all that stuff, mm. and um. And it seems to go, again, with Liverpool equally, 10 years, 15 years before, it just seems to, I don't know, I wish you could catch it in Aspic, what does make, you know, what starts these things, what... Um, especially out outside of London. How did that really generate? And it's probably, with Liverpool, probably the port, it being a port. And I, I actually went, I don't know if anyone's been up to... I have to say, while well, I'm on the Beatles thing, if you ever get a chance, go and see the McCartney and Lennon Houses, which are uh, National Trust, costs about 11 quid. It is the most outrageously great day.
0: I don't know whether you know this, Neil, but my friend Colin Hall is the custodian of Mendips. Really? And his wife, Sylvia, uh, looks Does the other one? Fourth Road, which yeah. is Paul's childhood yes. home, and, and the, 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 uh, we, we are off topic here at the moment, but but we will. We, but <laughs> it's all right, isn't it, Ruth? We're, we're okay to be off topic. <laughs> um, uh, the interesting thing is that, of course, you know, John was always portrayed as the working class hero. Yeah. But actually, his upbringing was, you would say, it was fairly middle class. Mm. Of the two of them, it was Paul that had a working more working-class background. Fourth Road is a very modest very house, isn't it? And yet 180-odd Beatles songs were written in the, the, you know, in the, in the parlour, mm. I think you'd call it, wouldn't you, at Fourth yeah. Room Road?
4: And they've done such a good job on it. And, and it's almost like, you know, um, you're in a situation where you can't afford, you've got a bit of wallpaper, so you, you wallpaper a wall, and then you run out of <coughs> wallpaper and start another wallpaper on another wall and the 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 actual mats that the matting that was stitched together to make um a carpet yes you know it's all extant and it's just fantastic but like you say the the happier house is actually the council house as opposed to the i guess you'd call it a lower middle class kind of parlor feel it's a sadder house the lennon house but they only let 17 people in at a stretch you know to to do if you ever get a chance you must do it it's so uh there were people in tears and uh, obviously people come from all over the world but um they do a great um social history thing on the Beatles as well without it being heavy but um I always remember that and, and you think well everyone should be forced to go you yes know. <laughs> you, you go right?
0: across the threshold and literally you're going back in time yeah because they've recreated exactly as it was when John yeah. used to live there yeah yeah e- even there's a there, there, there's a big tree in in the well the stump of a tree in the garden which used to be a huge tree and John used to have a little uh, tree house up on one of the branches so so you get for example the lyric line uh, in strawberry fields forever you know no one i think is in my tree i guess it must be high or low we really are going way way after but but no we're not actually because <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it because you know this is the way that music touches and affects us isn't it in terms of the way we we're, we're speaking about it now i mean i am a lyric person i love lyrics I, i'm not dominated by them i love the feel and the atmosphere of a, a track as well but but to me the lyrics really are important in terms of expressing emotion so then, Neil, for you, when was the first time that you knew that, that music was going to be important for you in your life? And what was it about that feeling that made it so special?
4: I, I suppose, ultimately, apart from... I, I would have thought, embarrassingly, school choirs, you know. I, I, the, um, the emotional rapport, whatever the word is, that you get with music, and you suddenly hear a host of kids... Actually singing together. Um, that was that's something else, isn't it? And it, it suddenly propels you. Harmonies, I suppose the harmony hits you then. And then um, just moving forward, I, I think it's the way to meet girls, isn't it? Really? It's a way to meet girls or boys, you know. And then but I always think of music with say advertising. I'm trying to get back on topic here. I, right? yeah, we will, we will. Um, I always have a problem with Brahms, you know, Brahms, because there's a tiny story with advertising with Brahms. We used to have this uh, creative director, and he came in, and I knew he was a fan of Brahms, and he said, and he looked very chirpy, and I said, I won't tell you who, who it was, but it was Keith Ravenscroft, this guy. <laughs> and then he, and he, I said, oh, Keith, what's, what's happening? He said, uh, I'm, I'm going to see a recital, a recital tonight of Brahms. And I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I knew two things about Brahms. And one, that he was a bit of a misogynist. And he used to write music. So you need a big hand to play the, the music. Um, and, so if you, and women don't have big hands. So it's like a really cunning way. Of women not to play Brahms, and the other one was that um, I said, "Oh, the other thing, Keith. He was—he used to strangle cats to try and find the lost chord. He strangled cats, and <laughs> no Brahms. <laughs> so, and this is true. So, Bra- so he strangled cat, and Keith. This That's went great. down. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm—I'm not just made that up, you? Really. <laughs> And so I think, and he went, oh, Jesus. And he said, are you allowed to swear? Did you fucking hear that on Classic FM, he says. And he stormed out. And I didn't get a pay rise for three years. (laughs) So even though Brahms died in 1897, he owes me a lot of money.
0: I do it. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean, though, in terms of even almost on a daily basis rediscovering the power of music. I mean, a short time ago, I did a, a, a Radio 2 Friday Night is Music Night. And uh, of course, it's the uh, BBC Concert Orchestra. Oh. 60, <laughs> yeah. 65 piece in, uh, uh, where were we, Shoreditch Town Hall or something? Lovely, ornate. Uh, um, uh, oh, no, it's the Hackney Empire. because course, one of the, the most. <laughs> or native and beautiful. And I, I was standing in front of the, 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 the orchestra, obviously comparing the, the show, and the power that you get from a big orchestra, you know, it really almost lifts you off your feet. It's an incredible feeling. Um, you know, The use of uh, music in advertising, obviously part of the reason for it to be there in the first place is to try and generate in the people who are watching and listening to that ad the kind of feeling, re- reaction and response to music that we're discussing here, isn't it? So what is it about that then? What, what what are the advertisers looking for when they're when they're trying to match that 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 picture with this particular Well, piece it, of music it, it's it's exact,
5: exactly that it's, it's when you say it's a match, it's a bolt on. It's something which is so closely associated that you feel that whenever i hear that piece of music i remember that i'm supposed to go and buy a pint of milk or or something the the way music doesn't work is when it is it has nothing to do with the brand that you're talking about so what appetizers and we we try and do is to make it make it responsible that anything we do will be closely aligned with a with brand. And if it's not, it's just a pretty tune. And like I think you were saying the other day, it's just a, it's just a piece of video, really. But it, it needs to be able to make you remember what the brand is all about. Otherwise, it's not worth the, the,
0: the guitar it's strummed on. So let's say, for example, because uh, it's so interesting, this isn't it, the, the McDonald's uh, campaign uh, that has that little whistle at the end of it. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're in, you're in the room or not, or whether you've just watched the ad, when you hear that little whistle, it's only about six or seven notes or something, but you know it's McDonald's. Yeah. It, it's that, the kind of effectiveness that you're talking that, about. That's,
5: that's the kind of shorthand, I, I don't have to have people watch something for 30 seconds or whatever, it's, it's something I can carry. From TV, I can carry it onto the radio. I, I can carry it in the street. Sometimes I can have it in the pub. We, we always used to say that the, the best accolade was if you're in the pub and somebody is whistling your tune to your ad, and you yes. go, "I did that," or yeah. I, I, "I wrote that." The, the McDonald's thing is, I think, it took a while to actually well, I was going to say you're in to it for to grow, th- aren't you? Yeah, you're create that. Yeah, But I'm, I imagine whoever did do it uh, is quite a rich person now. And I rem- remember a the, the guy we used to um, used to use to shoot films, a guy called John Perkins, uh, he wrote the, the three or four notes for London weekend television. And on the basis of that, sent both his kids to private school. Because <laughs> he, was, he got paid every time it went on, and it yeah. went on the air every, every night yeah and, that, and the way his the PRS worked for that was uh, fantastic for him
0: i mean just on that point actually payment for because there's lots of different ways now of getting paid isn't there for for the work that anybody does on an on on an advert the voiceover yeah. uh, you know there there are there are different scales of how big the campaign is and uh, whether it, you're 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 doing it as a buyout or there are lots of different options aren't aren't there i mean i remember Gosh, I remember the, those were the days, uh, in the old days when I was doing a, a TV show called The Old Grey Whistle Test. And uh, I, Alexis Corner was one of my great mentors in uh, those days. And he, he was the voiceover voice of the 70s. He used to do so, Mum Roulette and all of those. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did a, a campaign for VG food stores. And, and the, the campaign was basically, it, it, was this, it, it, it was like toys, it was like a map And uh, they're building a new estate and and there's a a hand holding a VG food store and the voiceover, the commentary is going along to the effect of now, where would you put this VG food store? Would you put it here way away from everybody or would you put it here right close to everyone? Well, that's where you find BG food stores, because they're, they're so convenient and, and they're right on tap. For it was it. that first take? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, I did a, 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 a studio session that probably lasted about an hour or an hour and a half. In fact, I remember Alexis being there with me and he used to chain smoke um to, to get all that gravel that he used to get. That, that they ran that um, uh, advertising campaign for nearly two years. And every single time that ad went out on TV, I earned money from it. I mean, it was it was just a purple patch moment that saw me through about I don't know twenty five or thirty thousand pounds during the course of that campaign. So, for writers of the piece of music and/or you know, if you're using uh, I, I don't know an album track or an old single or something like that, do these kind of royalties still apply? Uh,
5: you have to be really careful because it could. The royalties could cost you more than a total advertising campaign, so I think uh, I mean account people are account people are quite clever in working out beforehand that we would like this piece of music, but we're only going to give you so much and take it or leave it. And the the bigger the band, they don't have to take it or leave it; they can just say, "Forget it. We'll wait for uh, the big one to come along. Look, we don't need it." But it is it is very tempting. I mean, I mean just on a something I, I remember doing for an ad for a product called Coco Pops, which was a Kellogg's product. And the guy who wrote the music, um, it's called Ronnie Bond, and he wrote that in 1979, sort of 80 or something. He lives near me now, and I still see him in the coffee shop. And he keeps saying, thank you. I'm still getting, <laughs> getting checks. Because it, it went in different parts of the world, and in some of the places where they can't afford to do their own music. So he's getting, you know, pound
0: fifty in the bank every time he has it. It pays for his coffee. It <laughs> pays for his coffee, yeah. So, okay then, so so what is the, the, the process? How, you're, you're starting from scratch, and there's a concept for, for, for an ad. Um, you know, let's say it is a, a John Lewis. You know, they're, they're, you create some kind of storyboard, I guess, uh, or a storyboard is created initially is talk us through the 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 process of of how it all works
4: well um let's say there's a brief which is usually um there's a planner or planners involved um and obviously the client but ultimately you've got to come up with ideas which are it depends um they're usually storyboarded but scripted and storyboarded and presented so um But then when it comes to music, because that's kind of quite a complex process. It shouldn't be, but it is. And then when it comes to music, the horrible subjectivity kind of comes into it. And nonetheless, the creatives will have an idea of what that music is gonna be. And then it's a bit of a horse race, really. It's almost like you've got runners and riders because you might want the Beatles, but you're not going to get the Beatles, or you might want, or, but equally, and some things are completely opposite. Um, it's like the m and thing at the moment with jumpers. It's just, for me, it's perfect, you know, but the chances of them actually getting that, you know, it, it's almost, uh, you've almost got to put candidate tracks in. i mean, right, it's just say, okay, we might have this, that's our first, that's our favourite, and then there are others. But then um, time moves forward and then you lay, you get the film and then you lay it back against these, the track, the hero track, and it's bloody awful. And you think, oh, hang on, it it doesn't work. You said it would work, Uh, but it's not quite. And it's that weird, fuzzy logic. And even though it's not advertising, I'm always reminded of that Stanley Kubrick thing when, He was cutting, he said the first rushes in of 2001, A Space Odyssey. And he said, okay, we we need some, what music have we got? And there was a record player. And he actually had an old, I think a 78 of the beautiful Blue Danube. Just stick that on, it'll be fine. And and suddenly, hang on, there's an incredibly happy accident. And he was already having music composed for the thing, which he didn't end up on the film. And so I know that's high art and stuff, but equally, I think with with ads, the one that you think's going to do it doesn't necessarily it has to come in at thirty.
0: yeah, usually yes
4: um, and all sorts of other things have to align with you know the licensing and the publishing and actually sometimes i've done we used to work on condoms, and it's incredible how many um, you'd think that music people would be. Uh, yes, let's let's have our track on a condom ad, and my God, you know it was so hard to get anyone involved with Jurex condoms. And we had, and it wasn't a sexy, sexy ad. It was had a lot of sperm men dressed as sperm running around, and it was fine. Yeah, and then uh, oh, it's just it's it's a bit of a rip of the um, you know what was it. Oh, a uh, million one things you want to know about sex we 're afraid to ask or whatever yeah. but it 's a few years ago now, well he we couldn 't believe nobody no band wanted to, to do it, but so all i 'm trying to say the stars' it's mixed metaphors the stars have to align then yeah, and then you may get even if you get your third choice music you 're winning you
0: know because Graham Goldman was here last time, and um, you know, obviously ten CC and the Yardbirds and the Hollies, and there' so many great songs that he 's written through through the years and but particularly 10CC you know and the 70s where everything was sort of cool and you know I was saying to Graham was there (laughs) even a bit of a stigma at the time of having your music used in an ad because quite a lot of bands had a resistance to the idea of that because they felt, oh, this is over-commercializing what we do, mm. and now then, and then we're prepared to let that happen. Now it's completely different, isn't it? Yeah. Because there is so, so much competition to yeah. get your, particularly anything around Sky, Sky, sky Sports, sky, sky Football. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, to, to get a little section of one of your songs around, uh, you know, the, the the Sky Match of the Day equivalent, it, it, it's money, isn't oh, it? It's and it's money. That's yeah, because exposure. It's,
5: everything is is global now, so you don't just get a little bit; you get the world yeah. right yeah. to to go in. And I mean, similarly with uh, uh, famous actresses and things. You keep getting these. You probably get them as well. You get these things. You know, uh, she's now available for any endorsements that you may have. And yeah. you know, years ago they wouldn't touch advertising or. Commercials and things. I'm just going to say the thing about choosing the right music track. What's a really good, uh, really good exercise to do, which we haven't done here, but really good exercise is if you put different tracks with, say, a, a film that you've done, which you're, you've become used to, and then you put a different track with it. Completely changes it. I mean, you, you 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 get it right, and then it it locks itself in, and you and it grows with it, and it loves it, but. You've got to be careful to get it right, because if you don't, it can, it can become a bit oh, people a bit of a horse laugh, because people think, oh, you're just using that track because it's, it's famous, as opposed to, like I was saying before, you're using the track because it's helping, it's, it's building. I mean, the, the music is as much, uh, as well as a feel-good thing, it's an audio thing, it's a marketing thing, it's, it's the right thing, and when there's a right thing, there's also the wrong thing. To do, so you have to be quite careful. I mean, we, we were going to show a couple of ads. Uh, I don't know if this is the right hmm. to show one as an example. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's the Pretty Polly one.
1: This has got a piece of music. you can see. by Pretty Polly. Better looking, better fitting. Stretch to fit at the knee and at the ankle. No matter how much you twist and turn, they never bag, sag, or wrinkle. Legacy by Pretty Polly. Stay as long
5: as you do. So that, that was a product which didn't exist, and so we named it Legacy as well. And then we had, had the idea of uh, these tights, which they... they, they product was a tights that would actually not sag. You know, Lots of tights were sagging, apparently. Not the ones I wore. But <laughs> <laughs> And these, these would stay up. And so we got the idea from these stay up as long as you do, so they last a long time. You're not that far away from thinking they last all day and they last all night. And yes. then, because the music that we all love and stuff, there's the kinks version. But the kinks wouldn't have been perfect to have put it on as in their original way, because it was too rock, it was it was the wrong feeling, it was the wrong emotion. So we sp- spent a, a fair bit of time briefing people to say how would we do this if it was meant to be slower, sexier, a bit more premium, a bit more this, a bit more that, and then they came up with uh, doing it like that, and that's and it all it all sort of yeah. worked together, it all came together, but. Um, it, it took a while. It wasn't, oh yeah, let's let's use the kinks all day and all the night and, and get some bird sitting on a clock with her legs going round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it didn't work like that. that and again, that was Joanna Lumley's voice, yes. so that was a bit of class. Yes. David Bailey shot it, so that was a yes. bit of class. And the, I can't remember the name of the, the girl under the hat, but she married Mick Jagger.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. what's not to like? What's not to like? I mean, because they're... Yeah, There's been an increasing trend, hasn't there? And uh, I suppose John Lewis, is the, 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 one of the definitive examples of taking a, 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 a popular song and reinventing the song uh, the, to create a mood to match the images. Um, I mean, that's what that does for the old kink song. And you're right, because it wouldn't have fitted at all, would it? But these more gentle. In fact, they've done it on one of the campaigns this Christmas with Oasis, uh, Wonderwall. Uh, There's a new version of that, and they do tend to follow a pattern in that respect, don't they? That they're they're gentler. They're usually piano-led as opposed to guitar-led, like that. Well, that's bass bass guitar, but you know, it's that is an interesting thing, isn't it? And even me in in my role with Sound Lounge, you know, I I've thought about in fact, I've been making a list of songs from the past that could be reinvented to fit certain ads that I'm seeing on TV, like right now. Go on.
3: What often happens is they have the publishing rights, that's right, uh, but not the performance rights. So they can use the song, but they can't use the original version of the song. And what tends to be forgotten is the original version, the old Levi's ad that we all remember with I Heard It Through The Grapevine, You watch it now, the version's really shit, because it's not Marvin Gaye. Uh, But then, I think that's where that started, what you were saying. People were then falling over themselves to use their old track in a Levi's ad. And I think it uh, ballooned from there. But that might be the reason you have different versions, unfamiliar, reworked versions, usually by a miserable millennial um, (laughs) (laughs) of (laughs) of a song that you used to love.
0: But we did touch on this, and this is a subtle sort of twist on something we did touch on last time when we, we were chatting two or three weeks ago, that, um, you know, one of my really good friends is a guy called Bernie Marsden, who is in Whitesnake. And Bernie wrote a lot of those, Is This Love and Here I Go Again, and all of those big hits from the, uh, uh, from, from the 80s. And um, that generation is now, uh, what would they be? They'd be in their 40s or their 50s. And a lot of the advertising agencies in the States are using songs from the 80s that specifically appeal to that. Yes. Because, they, you know, they, 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 they have got disposable income. Uh, those songs are familiar. And then if you take that song, which is familiar and just give it a slightly different twist, you're doing several di- you're, you're, you're pressing several dip- different buttons in one go aren't you? Because then you're creating a different mood, but you're using a song that people are familiar I, with. I think it's also
5: what you, s- you said before about loving lyrics and things. There are lyrics which people can remember. And so you're, you're quite close to talking about some form of advertising because you've got the words already written. I mean, it's, it's another thing to have like the music that you love and the tune that you love and the emotion that you get. But sometimes, when, when we're trying, when we're doing stuff, and we're trying to think of what would go with this, then lyrics come flooding back, and then yeah, if you re-sing the lyrics in a modern way or a different way, you, you've got a whole new life to them, which uh, I, I think is is a is a when it works, it's great. It's it's really like I mean, like it's you're saying before, like when the client says. Uh, oh, we'd like some music. We sort of like, oh no, because yes. no one's going to agree on the piece of music, and we're no. going to be sitting there listening to six thousand sort of studio tracks that aren't quite right, and and go backwards and forwards. It's much better if if you know where you are. You, if, if I'm not saying the music comes first, but if you if you get to the music quickly with the right track and stay with it, then you've got a good piece of music to go with it. If if you're just Floundering, thinking, I want some music. Then yeah. uh, you're not.
4: But it, it can be submers uh, subversive, as well. The the juxtaposition. Oh, that shouldn't be with that. Or whatever. There's there's one that we've got. Is a commercial which, it's obvious. It's deliberately. We we deliberately wanted uh, to rip off, if you like. We have the, had this campaign. Light brands only cheaper for the supermarket Aldi, and. In this instance we we definitely wanted to raid an existing piece of music by Coco
0: Chanel. Have we got that? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I like the champagne. I like the champagne. <laughs>
4: oh.
1: <laughs>
4: so, so that ran with um at the same time as coco chanel so uh, but for whatever reason we thought oh jesus we can get the track you know it's fact they haven't done an exclusive buyout so that that was good equally we did one with we did one which was um the cornetto you know what um oh sole mio
0: yes
4: and uh and we thought, fine, we had to, it came out of uh, the public domain and we had to pay for it, which client never likes. But so there we are, we're in we're Italy and we went to Venice and we had, um, we had gondoliers and we said to them th- via an interpreter, you need to sing O Sole Mio, and none of them would sing it. It's like what? Well, come on, and, and the money and all the stuff, and and it was a, and it's it's from Naples the song, and no one, no Gondolier worth his salt, or ice cream or whatever, <laughs> would sing the bloody song, you know. So we had to get someone in who wasn't Italian, who looked Italian, to sing the song, and it created like a unionized atmosphere. Uh, but it's just this thing about music being. Um, Who would c- ever know? No. You know? Well, we didn't. <laughs> no. But equally, I, I, I went to a thing a few years ago about, and it was, I can't remember the examples, but there was band mu- music which you couldn't play now, which was perfectly acceptable not that very long ago. And there's quite a list. Uh, that's another thing. Well, there's there's stuff. a bit, well, the, there's stuff of, there's a bit of Chuck Berry in there, yeah. 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 Uh, and stuff where you suddenly think, well, hang on, middle-aged men are playing this. And... But it wasn't just that, there were other things about race and about um, dualities that you think, hang on, no, no, we'd rather yeah. not. And then they recede from the, you know, from yeah. the airplay.
0: Because the complexity of all of it, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, Neil, I mean, there are a lot of pairs of hands on all of this going through the process, isn't it? Yeah. So, so, you know, c- c- clarity of thought, particularly it seems to me when you've got somebody, I don't know, a music supervisor, who is absolutely certain that, that the match, and, they're, and they're, they're applying all their own personal experience and everything else to create this match between this particular visual and this particular piece of music, and they know it works, and yet, there are so many factors that get in the way of of just that being expressed yeah. eventually in the add on screen
4: well the other thing is um, is data or other information because the creatives generally are under the cosh in terms of the overladen with information back that says no it's this age group of person that you like you know were, were they growing up within that golden zone 13 to 17, when this track was out, and they'll think kindly of it and all that. And then not just media channels, but the creative now, the, the what they want to do is breathe and, and, and to, to be intuitive and say, look, I've got this great juxtaposition between this music and this film. Isn't it witty? And also, it just rings the bell. But then they're actually... Um, on a hiding, because there are, with media and with, um, dare I say it, with cantar and all there's also so many tools to gauge things ahead. And sometimes it works, and it's actually very handy. But what it does, it takes away the, um, the spontaneity yes. of the creative thing that we were talking about earlier. So it's not quite as um, happy land as, as maybe would Making out, and I'm sure a lot of people in the room probably, I would imagine, share this. In that, this almost like too much is kind of blowback of common sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do have a roving mic, so if, you know, anybody would like to sort of contribute to, to the conversation at this particular moment. I mean, you know, from, even from from my experience, e- even outside of the advertising world, let's say, because when I came into the BBC in 1970. Uh, this, this, this rather anarchic, chaotic uh, sense of creativity still existed, very much so. In fact, it was kind of encouraged. Mm-hmm. And out of that came programs like Monty Python's Flying Circus. You know, you, you would never see that emerge from a clipboard or from research. It was, it, was, it was so random and so crazy, and some of it worked and some of it didn't. You know, even the show that I did, The, the Old Grey Whistle Test, we, would never have come out of committee meetings and, and, um, uh, uh, you know, audience research. It just wouldn't. But with that then came this freedom to express yourself in this amazing way. And then people to whom that freedom of expression was attractive were attracted to that show. Mm. And amazingly, the two things seemed to work and off they went. And it created something memorable because it was kind of unique. And I think in general creative terms at this moment, I would say personally, that. That is something that I look for and, and yearn for, actually, is this spontaneous creativity. You can see that's what it is. And it, and, and it isn't governed by algorithm, research and all this kind of stuff, you know.
5: That, that's one of the things which you, you know better than anybody is that in the earlier times, 60s, 70s, 80s, you could record a studio album in a day and it would be a great hit and everybody would love it now sometimes it's going to take like a month to make one record or so so is is there too much too much guessing too much like maybe this maybe that too much data going into
0: what should be more spontaneous well mind you in the in the 70s you know the people were spending a, a year and a half on an album you know but mostly they were so stoned it took that long you know There's uh, but but it's very obvious, isn't it, when you're looking at a piece of work that's research-led as opposed to cre- creatively-led. And does this sometimes drive you both mad to, to, to have to kind of deal with this? It, it, it drives you completely berserk,
5: but then you realise it's not your money. And it's the sponsors, the clients, who are spending the money. So what you know, we would love, I mean, I've always thought, Appetising should be like fish and chip paper. You know, if you do it, if it doesn't work, okay, tomorrow you can do something else and move it up. Um, You can't do that because of the data, because of the research, because of the prognosis, and this, that, and the other, and because of the clients worried about not getting their sales, and so they won't have a job next month because their boss will tell them, you didn't do the right thing. So there's a lot against spontaneity, now a lot against it. Um, some stuff still gets through, and it and it's okay, it works. But I think there's a lot missing that could be better. So it could it be a bit fresher. Be in what way, Harry?
0: What would you say? About well, I,
5: I think there's. I mean, one of the best creative directors I ever had, um, a guy called Paul Arden. His his thing was, you've got to fail, learn to fail. He was saying. Do it wrong. I want everybody to do something bad, do something wrong, and by doing it wrong, you learn how to do it right. And I think now everyone's really scared of doing the wrong thing and putting something on paper that
0: you know you did that that wasn't right. You're no good. Your history out you go. Yeah. So there is that that sense of competition then within the personnel uh, of, of advertising. Mm. In that way, that, that, that there's an insecurity. I think there's a big microscope over over people now,
5: mm-hmm. and you know, as always, lots of people want to get into the business, and there are, you know, mm-hmm. half people will will do what they're told because they want to stay in the business. Yes. Whereas the business would probably be better if there was more more freedom. But then that's back to the money. Yeah. Uh, so it, I, don't, I don't know what the answer what we, to that is. Have,
4: there are some clients that don't want old tracks because we are a contemporary, you know. And so uh, I was listening to one not that long ago and it happened to be, um, oh, what was it? Um, it was an old um, Fat Swallow track. And my God, it, it was the best thing with, and it, it just worked insanely well with the film um no it's when was that made Fats, fast well, what you thought? no we are cont- you know i'm thinking well hang on um it's beautiful and all those other things all those woolly words but um in reality i could see where they're coming from because they want to be seen um and it's only a small client but at the same time you know we want to go places with it um And they're they're throwing out, and it's not, they're saying, oh, clean bandit and stuff from maybe four years ago or three years. Um, And that's, and and they want to appeal to the broad, you know, populace, but equally, I I don't know, some clients are much more advanced and then they'll say, well, it's like old stuff is now new stuff and it has been for a long time. And um, the equity in all the old stuff I mean, it used to. It wasn't long ago before everything was a bit tribal, wasn't it? With as you yeah, said earlier, with, yeah. with music and yeah. mods and rockers, and you were this or you were into solo, or you were into punk or you. Were, but that that all went away. Help, fantastically melted away. Yes. And now the old uh, constituency is the new constituency. But we to try and get clients to be as liberal minded is very hard because they're thinking, "Oh, are they going to think we're old-fashioned?" You know,
0: Jesus. Yes. gosh. I mean, there are so many factors, aren't there, to apply? Again, something you said earlier, and and I know that, that Ruth is, has got this very much in her mind too, because, in a, the idealistic way and the creative way of looking at this too is that, you know, you can create art, can't you, within advertising? This this magic mm, juxtaposition of sound and visual. Uh, that that moment can be amazing, can be amazingly creative. I mean, I know that this is what Sound Lounge is about. Now, it is partly what these events are about. It is kind of a reminder that those possibilities still really do exist. I mean, it, it's harder to apply them maybe these days because there are so many pairs of hands on everything, and there's there's lots of processes to go through. But at it's most beautiful I'm beginning to sound a bit hippie but do you know what I'm saying the possibilities are there to create these amazing moments and this is one of the reasons that that I think that the John Lewis ads are so popular at Christmas time because there are times when they really catch you don't they and and really strike a chord
4: yeah I I think by design really you could I mean I'm a big fan and Adam and Eve and everything but they are, let's be honest, they're designed to be that uh, heart strings kind of way. And I think if it, does beco- if it does become art, really it's by accident, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that, P- it's
0: like, so, uh, again, without But you can it. argue, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, Neil, but at the same time you can argue that, that if it does do that and is successful in doing that, which which the John Lewis ads are. Yeah, yeah. Then in itself, that's kind of art. I mean, I know that it, I, I, I know that it's, uh, uh, you know, um, there's a cynicism to it, and it, it's designed. And but when it really works, it it elevates to a different level, doesn't it? And That's yeah. what the John Lewis had seem to be able to do.
4: Yeah, but I don't know. I'm waiting for the the world to turn on those things. You know, no. we've got a carrot. You know, a, a, we have a Kevin the carrot. Who is, the unit cost is like three p, as opposed to the John Lewis um, dragon, which is thirty eight quid or whatever. It's uh, I think there's something nice about being able to kick off stuff like that, and they are conscient, they are so so good at it. Um, uh, We've got Kevin. Yeah, but it's, it's just, but now we've, we, we just want a piece of John Lewis, basically.
2: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. I, I must, must admit, I'm not a fan of John Lewis. It's, I think, personally, I think they're overproduced. I think there's, it's almost too easy to have that much money and to make those kind of things without the soul. It, it's something I, I was not, not involved with at all, and it's not, it's not a, a store I particularly like. <laughs> but there was a boot. There was a Boots ad which used Jimmy Durante's um, smile, and if you remember it, yes, and I, I, I can still feel the emotion from that when it came up, and it was it was somebody walking around in the snow and presents and all u- usual stuff, but for me that was closer to now. I've I don't have a on this. Yes, I am having a go. <laughs> <laughs> I I just feel they've gone like oh yeah look look how much look
0: how much we can do. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't, yeah, don't like yeah, it. I feel frankly, it's lost its soul. Yeah, yeah. Just, just just the other thing on final on on this point, but you know, I think uh, uh, you and I were talking about this before, Harry Neil. This is a, a, and it, this was this is something that's really stuck in my mind. I remember listening to. Uh, radio in America in the 70s and um, there was one particular ad, I still think it's one of the most creatively brilliant pieces of work I've heard Um, and it was a Coca-Cola ad and it was just sound and it began with the sound of um, a drink being poured into a glass so you know you get the glug 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 and then you begin to that you can, the ice goes in, and then you begin to hear the effervescence. I was, there's no commentary. You're just listening to this as a piece of soundtrack, and the effervescence builds and builds, and then it becomes a wave that crashes on the beach, and then, and then you hear the uh, as it comes back over the pebbles. And it was just there that the, the, I can't remember what the the actual line was, but it was something, 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 you know, refreshing Coca-Cola. Now that is I've only heard it once on radio. That's <laughs> stayed with me for, what, 40 years or yeah. something. The creative brilliance to just come up with that. Yeah. So, you know, th- th- those kind of moments as well, because you don't always have to use music, no, do you? You, you can use other devices as well.
5: well I mean, that was good. And um, well, we uh, <coughs> when I was at W Two, we used to do the Guinness Sands as well, and we did radio, and then we did something, I don't know if we copied them, or they heard us, or it was just a coincidence. But we did a similar thing Which was the top of a bottle coming off, and you heard it fizzing, and you heard it pouring, and at the end it said, in Irish voice, it said, "How does a how does a bottle of Guinness sound, right now?" And again, it was the cheapest ad in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, it didn't need any Martians and things, but it was. Again, I, I, I remember it from all the sort of jumble that I've I've been involved with, and you remember that bit, so yeah. it proves that once you get the idea, there's, you, there's nothing. You kind of whack an idea, yeah. Really.
0: So so typically then, how how many people would be involved in the? I, I know it varies obviously from ad to ad, but but this is why. How many people would be involved in the creating of an advert?
4: Well we, we're about to work on Christmas next year for the, uh, for the Aldi supermarket right um, probably about the second week in Jan, and we might i don't know there's got to be at least creatively about eight to ten people thinking about it, um, because now it's why it's not just an ad it's everything else and um, it's actually impossible to say how many because all you want is one killer idea, and that could, you know, that's usually down to one, maybe two people, tennis bowling the thing around.
0: And presumably the ad is a, is the kernel, the central thing of of a wider campaign yeah. around which there are other things. Oh
4: yeah, yeah, tons
5: of things. In, in fact, last couple of years ago, and I think hope they've abandoned this phrase now because advertisers come out with these dreadful phrases that mean nothing to anybody but themselves and, and it was a media neutral idea which meant it was an idea that could go digitally or press or uh, so it was the idea that was important not the execution and then you give it to lots of other people to that, on, so you you do your there.
3: Channel
4: agnostic. This
5: oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <In bankers. laughs> is gonna be religious. Channel agnostic. It, it gets stupid. <laughs> it gets really stupid.
0: Well, it's
4: just an idea, isn't
5: it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's wrong with calling it an idea?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan.
7: Yes. Uh, so I guess a question for both of you. So it sounds like your role is a lot kind of dancing around personalities, and I guess quite a lot of compromise as well. Uh, and I understand all of that but i guess where do you think your jobs are at their best capacity when you're working on one of these projects if it's an idea that you fully come up with that gets integrated from start to finish or i guess yeah where where do you get the most enjoyment or maybe not even enjoyment but satisfaction from your own individual roles within this
5: (coughs) i think it's good old-fashioned pencil and piece of paper really and scribbling around wherever you are whether it's in the coffee or whether you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning and you just think, oh, I better write that down because gonna, I'm going to forget it in the morning and things. I think it's that initial <coughs> that does it. And whether that <coughs> survives or not, is, there's all sorts of reasons why it will and why it won't. But there's, there's nothing. I, I remember, it, again, it was it was working on Guinness for this guy. And we had this thing. Where wherever we thought of what we thought was a great idea, we would go like whoosh, 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 because it meant that our arms would leak. We'd, we'd start to sweat because we thought something was good. And at one point, I can remember it still. Uh, we there was a client meeting going on which we were we were too junior to be involved in, but we had this great idea, and the Guinness clients were in, and we just burst into the room, and the count people were going, mm, and going, no, 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 we've got to tell you this, we've got to tell you this. So we were able on that initial excitement to try and convey that at the time I don't know whether the thing survived or not but there, there was we still get it, it we, we call it um, the underarm test
4: yeah yeah much the same I mean I've um, I worked with the same guy for 20 years and all I ever want to do is if I'm honest make him happy or laugh and when we're laughing together and we're in the realm of doing a brief. And then you, the, the kind of, um, the feeling that you get out of that is just immense pleasure. But then you, you know, obviously when, you, uh, when you're on set, it's great, you know, when you suddenly you see, you see, Jesus, we asked for an elephant and there it is and whatever it is, that, that's a, a big bonus. And then you think, oh, I'm, I'm so happy I'm in the business. But now it's much more with the other teams and, and trying to almost like be, have some of that with, with, the, um, with the other teams, but equally. And also the, the tech, uh, the, the tech uh, what's happened in recent years, that has, uh, that's been a, another layer of fascination and development of possibilities, whereas before it was so hard to actually get the thing to be manifest quickly and easily, and now... You know, And in actual fact, um, ultimately, I keep going back to that idea, it's such a precious thing, and, and we forget at our peril that all this tech and, I suppose, I'm just going against what I've just said, all the max in the world and all the um, technical advances, ultimately, you just want a connection with another human being.
5: On, on the tech thing, bring it back to music, if you like, I, I did a... Um, a spot for uh, De Beers diamonds and we used uh, a thing called Track of the Cat which was a Morric song which was really, really, really good but it was before tech so we had to sh- the idea was a black panther warming around the uh, top of Paris around the rooftops and then seeing this girl who was getting dressed and then looking in the mirror and all the diamonds shining and all, all that stuff so you couldn't use any fake stuff, you had to actually just do it. but we, They wouldn't let us do it in Paris. They said it would be too, you know, to actually have a real, wild Black Panther roaming around. They said, you cannot ensure that, you can't do that. So we ended up doing it in the studios in Bray. And they have big studios there. So we, we had a, the first uh, Black Panther come along. And the Black Panther played, played ball for a bit going around. Then he got fed up, and he started to run after the crew. Um, that was really scary and I can still <laughs> <coughs> I can remember now that they, they, we were trying to so we were up in the gantry and the thing, and we, were, we had these big blocks of wood and that trying to stop him and there was this paw that kept coming through and they're quite strong these Black Panthers <laughs> and all that so that was like really 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 scary the um, owner who had him actually only brought him in this white van like along the motorway with no, with no lock on it. So we, we had, we, he actually uh, it didn't hurt him, but he managed to subdue him, and then we couldn't use him again, so we had to go to Biddy Smart Circus and get another one during that week. We were shooting the whole thing. So the second panther arrived. Um, he, was, uh, he was also a bit frisky. He couldn't quite work out what he wanted and what he didn't want, so he was running around like a, like a black panther. And the, <laughs> the person that came with uh, this white truck and things, uh, she got scared. And she was supposed to be the person that helped. So she ran into the back of the white truck. And we're all going, no, that's where he's going to go. It's <laughs> his home and that. And I mean, he, he got him back on this guy. and he, the, uh, the owner, the Billy smart owner got him. And he put him on his back. So he's carrying this Black Panther. And as he's coming down the steps and things, uh, one of the lights, big arc lights, blew. Oh. So the Black Panther was off again. You know? it was like, I mean, it, it was, we, we'd had enough by then. So w- we had most shots, but we didn't have all of them. And on the, for the last day, the shot was supposed to be the Black Panther and looking at his eyes and his tail would wag, which meant they were angry, as the headlights of the car drove away. And blah, blah, blah. So we ended up with a stuffed panther. And a great image, what happened, is that one of the crew had to saw his tail off so he could then reattach the tail with a fishing rod and make it, <laughs> and make it well. But that was like no tech. No, no. You know, that was all
0: done for
5: real. So.
1: And and as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is fabulous from Gondoliers and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, refusing to, to, to yeah, sing. Sh- oh, well, sing that
4: bloody song, sing
0: the song. <laughs> sing, for God's sake, sing. You see, who would know that the, the, these, and, and we're talking about, a, in all of this, we're talking about a process that lasts across quite a long period of time. <laughs> and, and, you know, beginning a camp, or thinking about a campaign for Christmas 2020 now. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm really surprised oh, 2021 actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anybody else with any further thoughts and comments and questions on, on the topics we've, we've raised so far? Yeah, go on, Hi, Les.
1: Uh,
8: Les from uh, Adam and Eve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> he doesn't like you. I love you. <laughs> um, uh, you might you might not like the John Lewis ads, but I, I like the Pretty polyad. ad, um, um, and like yeah yeah. <laughs> so but but what I thought about the Pretty polyad, ad, but when you when you did that, were you because it looked as if as if the music was integral to the whole idea, so that doesn't look like one where the music was bolted on at the end.
5: Well, we, we had the, the 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 idea of the brand was to have a, a particular. A new kind of tight that would actually last longer, um, last for more hours and things, and I suppose thinking of the music it came there, but it, the music didn't dictate the clock visual. Did the clock? No, the clock visual was came first, if you like, and and then uh, that that came. It's like let's try and get that track, and I think when we initially started, uh, we we didn't go straight to let's have a a piece of music like that, I think we just said it's... Because you could then, you can go to HMV and buy the music and keep it, so, and put it well, on expense.
8: Uh, so the question I think I, I was going to ask was, was do you ever start with a musical idea? I, I think
5: you do, yeah, I think you do. I, I know you've got a different opinion than that, but I I think th- there's no rules, really. And sometimes the music will come first, and you think hey, that that will go really well with with this, as opposed to bolt it on. So they, they both have their pluses and their and their minuses. Uh, it's it's the lyrics of a music, which if they fit what you're talking about, you think, my God, that's great. I mean, for instance, we another one that we were going to do, we did do. Uh, we used to do Burger King, and we had the idea of. I mean, it was Burger King was something you can go into hamburger place and you can have the the pickle or not have the pickle, so you have it your way and they used to talk about have it your way and things so our idea was to say you want it without pickles, you got it you want it with extra cheese you got it, and there was Roy Orbison doing, you got it Mrs Roy Albison wouldn't let us have that (laughs) I mean, it was a shame and we were really upset at the time because we thought that would really make that you know, we could run it all the way through and it was a great track and great Orbison fan and all like that stuff. So we we, re, we kept the lyric, you got it, but we did a new piece of music at the at the end of it, which wasn't as good as Royal Orbison's. But uh, if you like, we we went through
0: the music to get the idea, and then lost the music and kept the idea. McDonald's, Burger King, Beatles, Stones, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oasis Blur. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think we touched on this last time, didn't we, where, where the worst outcome, isn't it, is, is when the music is the last afterthought and the two things just, you know, you can tell it's just been thrown on at the end. I'd, I'd love to show you something else we've got, got time Yeah, please. Which,
5: which is a different
0: way of looking at
5: the music, if you like, and it, it certainly did not start off with the music, and you can tell this one didn't start off with the music. It's the uh, Opal Fruits one. And there's a... Opal
1: fruit ice. Real fruit juice. Frozen around a soft fruit centre. It to fresh you. Need to meet your mouth water.
5: Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, you're not your fault. It's, I've probably downloaded it wrong. Uh, this, this track has Ralph... rave. Ra- Ray Rafferty's yes. Baker Street. Yes, Rafferty. And Rafferty's what Street. happens with this girl that, I, I've got this off YouTube because all my ads are gone now. I don't have I only have them on VHS, so we have to go to YouTube. What happens is she walks down the middle of Miami and all this fire hydrants because that's all juicy, and as she's going, she's in complete ecstasy. <laughs> and Baker Street by Rafferty plays and was perfect for it. But again, it was like we want Piece of music that shows that she's like that, which so I wouldn't say it was bolted on, but it certainly didn't come first.
0: Mm. It was because uh, it was actually Bob Holness, wasn't it? What was it? <laughs> there was. A, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's very obscure. But there, there was a rumor at the time that the saxophonist on Baker Street was Bob Holness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, a, any other thoughts now?
6: Uh, David Simmons from Sound Lounge. Uh, I started in the music business in the early 70s. And um, by the way, you mentioned before a Smile by Jimmy Durante. That was written by a young whippersnapper called um, Charlie Chaplin, which a lot of people may not know. Um, and uh, the entertainment that we had in the, in the 70s was very, very limited. One or two channels on the television, you go to the cinema and see Pearl and Dean. Um, the way we got our music was very limited. Um, so that what stimulated me to buy, and what had an effect on me, was very, very different to the stimulus that's around today for, this, for the generation now, in 2019. And I don't think the music particularly has moved on that much, Pr- certainly in original composition it would have done, but the tracks that are being used today would have worked over the last 30 years. And I'm sure that the advertising agencies have researched this to the nth degree, but I think it's actually down to the fact that the music of that period was so genius, it keeps working across the generations. Uh, And even today with the YouTube generation and all the things I don't really understand, the stimulus that affects them and persuades them to buy, we still have that genius music of that period that works now and may well be working in 10 years' time or 20 years' time or even 30 years' time when people's buying habits and, and entertainment is totally different to what it is today.
0: Well, there's um, uh, David Hepworth, who was one of my successors on the Ogre Whistle Test, uh, published a book about a year ago, uh, which is called 1971. And uh, this book contends that 71, it just makes a massive great argument for 71 being the best year for music of all time. And when, and when, when you begin to see th- the music of that year laid out in front of you the way that David has explained it, it's hard to argue with it, you know, because there, w- there were so many classic records and so many great artists at that moment. And clearly, you know, Elton John, Cat Stevens, uh, the Led Zeppelins of this world, they created timeless music that, you know, it sounds good whenever you hear it in whatever context, isn't it? So I think there is a strong case to be, and, and that's not just, um, uh, you know, old gl- bloke, looking back you know it's it's a reality that music is so good and it touches you know this is one of the things about I, i am going slightly off topic here but um you know this is this is something that's interesting let's say with the programming of a station like radio 2 because the bbc in general now as we all know and i think probably this this applies across advertising as well you know the short bite thing the, the 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 short attention span the determination to appeal to young people who aren't watching tv so, so much these days you're you're trying to create for them something really sort of uh, uh, so you're trying to sort of think right what do 30 year olds like we'll try and play them music that's made by 20 and 30 year olds uh and the standard of music in the charts these days, I, I would strongly contend, and, and you know, isn't as good as it was, let, let's say in 1971, that certainly in my world, the country music stars, so many of the big country music stars got into music through their parents' record collections and they were listening to Fleetwood Mac or they were listening to the Eagles or whoever it was in the car with their mums and dads or Merle Haggard or, or whoever it was that became their influence. And they took that music and, and blended it with other more modern music and created their own sound with that music. What they weren't, you know, what they weren't doing was they weren't being completely influenced by young people's music. There's, there's such a wealth of music to go back to and so with the radio station say like Radio 2, if you're going to eliminate Fleetwood Mac completely from the playlist, let's say, personally I think that's a mistake because what you're then assuming is that a 25 or 30 year old won't like Fleetwood Mac, where clearly they do, you know. So, so th- th- that it's, it's, it's just a thought about that, but it's actually quite important, I think, in terms of musical makeup. There's room for, for Dua Lipa and, and uh, you know, but there's also room for the Everly Brothers and Fleetwood Mac because they made such great records. So if you're gonna eliminate them from your thinking, I think that's a mistake.
4: There's a, I think there's a lot to say for programming because I used to take five infants to a nursery um, years ago, and it was such a cacophony of noise and i and i'm a blue a big blues fan and i always used to i used to ramp up number 10 muddy waters r l burnside john lee hooker and we went through the whole panoply of blues for probably between 2 and 4 years and i, I know all of them because three of them are my kids they're all massive blues fans yeah which so <laughs> I've kind of, um, for better or for worse, um, and they're very much into it. And it reminds me of this thing that, again, with advertisers, where you get this thing where when you're perhaps going through puberty, I don't know, 11, I don't know, through to 15 or foot that's when you're hearing that music, That whatever that music happens to be has a profound effect on you. To the degree where it might actually be crap music, but it does resonate more than other musics because it had, uh, over and above its emotional engagement at the time, and I think advertise. I think people know that in our industry, there was uh, there was a campaign for I think it was. Um, Chocolate or Hobnobs or um, McVitties, maybe McVitties, where they deliberately use the the it gets back to is the music, the idea, um, children's TV programs, the soundtracks from, and there was no there was no uh, voiceover, and it was just I feel good because it's like uh, whatever it was at the time. Um, and the, these, these, these children's TV pro, which are just on the edge of memory, mm-hmm. have a, uh, pr- they have a, this effect on us. Like, uh, it's like, almost like uh, a kind of Dr. Strangelove kind of thing <laughs>
8: happening.
0: And, uh, Les, you've got a thought about
8: that. Um, in February, you've got this guy, Daniel mullensiefen coming on this panel. He's a neuroscientist. And he'll tell you exactly that, that um, there is this thing the music that you basically listen to between puberty and when your life ends about 25, <laughs> is, is, is the music that you will love for the whole of the rest of your life. You are you are very, very susceptible. Um, and one of the reasons I'm slightly suspicious about this kind of like music's not as good as it used to be thing is that the people who say it, and we said it last time, are all people like us who are old. Um, I, if, it, it, I, if I heard a teenager saying... The best music was in 1971. I might believe it. Everybody thinks the music they grew up with is the best music ever. And we've used that in ad campaigns where we've, you know, if we want to target a particular age range, you, you, you target them by musical era. Yeah.
3: I think um, the other problem you've got, if I can just slag off most UK radio stations for the moment, is the way they're programmed. Um, your show, Bob, and some on Radio 2, and we harked back the other week to Roger Scott, who chose his own musics, introduced us to stuff. Most of them now are owned by a conglomerate called Global. Um, So that's Capital, Smooth, Heart. And it's just so tightly controlled, so researched. So, you know, I'd die happy if I never heard Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl ever again. And yet it was a record I used to love. In fact, they just have the same ones. And apparently... Uh, say soul music is green and country is red or something like that, they have uh, kids programming them that don't know what the tracks are. We've got to have two reds followed by a green, to, and that's what's on the radio. So we're not hearing, and the children uh, aren't being introduced to their own music anymore. Um, and it's a shame. So you have to you have to seek it out. Whereas we got different stuff all the time on Radio 1 when we were kids and on Capital. Uh but it's an interesting,
0: interesting, yeah. it's an interesting contradiction, isn't it? Because um, uh, we've got access to, to, to a much wider range of media than we ever had when, we're talking about 1971, when there was you know, two, three TV channels, the, the MTV didn't exist, you couldn't record. Uh, I mean, VHS didn't even exist as a technology in those days. Um, the whole idea of video hadn't come into people's minds yet. And yet, somehow, we were the, the, we were offered a much wider uh, sp- uh, uh, um, array of different things, or seemed to be. What's
3: well, you your know. point about um, being allowed some sort of creativity? You know, Monty Python would never get through research now. Yeah. So, so would a lot of the, uh, Yeah, yeah I
0: it mean, was that. I mean the, the, the,
3: the I'm the hogging the mic. Take it off me, or I won't <laughs> shut up.
0: We, 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 we were talking earlier about um, uh, a group called the, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, um, who specialised in the music of North Carolina, Piedmont Blues and Jazz. Uh, and, and the key person within that group was a woman called Rhiannon Giddens, who is an immensely talented, strong um, woman, uh, uh, Native American woman. She is, she is incredible. And uh, the band came onto my show years ago um, and we were talking about their influences and, and um, I had this vision of them uh, uh, exploring round little shops in, uh, uh, I, I don't know, Wilmington, North Carolina or somewhere and going through the Raleigh, North Carolina and go, going, going into all the archive things and finding tapes, going into libraries, listening to things and checking things and all of this kind of stuff. And she's looking at me like this. And, and I said, well, surely you did, did all the research. She said, the internet? Yeah. Uh, of course, you know. So the internet offers us more, a wider set of possibilities now than we ever had when, when 1971 was emerging as arguably the best uh, year for music ever. And, and so a 16-year-old now has a world of possibilities in front of them that that are just so exciting, it's unbelievable. And you know, final little thought on this, uh, but to me this is so key. Say even 15 years ago, I'd be playing a track on the radio and uh, you'd not heard that artist before, how would you find out about that artist? Well, you'd write me a letter, probably, you know. Um, So long as it came through the BBC system, okay, and I read it, I I would reply and write back to you with the information of that track from that album which you would then take to your local record store and if it was an import the record store would then order it from america a process that would take probably 10 days or so they would call you to let you know that the album has finally arrived you would go into the record shop to collect that album carry it home um, and and you know there was that wonderful thing of if you slice through the uh, shrink wrapping and you take the vinyl. i'm oh, beginning to salivate now the whole process but uh, you know, and put it on your. Uh, but that's a process that that could span across two or three weeks. Now I'm playing a track on my program. Um, you can shazam it, even if I haven't uh, announced what it is, and uh, you like it. By the time I finish playing that track and begin to tell you who it was, you could have downloaded that track and most of the album from which it comes, downloaded it into your own personal collection just like that now that that that's 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 such an exciting revolution it's unbelievable you know so the so the kids today <laughs> <laughs> you know have got all these fantastic options they really have and it, that makes it a very rich world you know in my opinion
8: they can also broadcast um, and i think when you're talking about young kids who don't may, may not even have access to streaming services because they you know they don't have a subscription I think, you know, the really young kids, the ones who are just entering that, you know, 11, 12, where music's coming alive, YouTube is the way they are getting a lot of stuff. And YouTube is a bit like pirate radio in some ways. Um, You know, there's there's, there's a whole subculture there of YouTubers who are also musicians, and it's their way of getting out, and they're circumventing global radio, and, and they're talking direct to the...
4: And they comment, and actually there's a subgroup within the subgroup, it's true.
0: And I tell you the other bit of Wild Westing that's going on at the moment, uh, podcasts, podcasts. I, 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 suddenly we've got podcasts. So, now they are not restricted by time. You know, They're, they're, they're not supposed to fit into a 30-second slot or a one-hour slot. They can be anything the podcaster wants them to be. Now I think the uh, emergence of podcasts, they emerged years ago, but the now uh, arriving huge popularity of podcasting, that is, because re- every single one of those is, is its own individual radio station, and I think that's genuinely really exciting,
7: yeah. Uh, as an observation, I guess, also, because I'm 25, so it's nice to know, Les, that that's my last year of life. Uh, but so uh, I, I I think it's gone absolutely full circle. It's interesting you guys were talking about, say, radio programming on that side, because for people my age and younger, that is an area of media that's actually lessening. The numbers are down for people my age and for a whole various different reasons. And so I think it's completely split how... Let's say if we're... Apologies for a generalisation in the room. I think if you go for a 30 and below generalisation of how passive audiences find their music it's split completely in two uh i think the abundance of the music that they're available to digest basically uh means that m- either people wait for things to be delivered to them or they have go-tos on discovery i think the two biggest go-tos on discovery as well as youtube that les touched on uh, is playlisting on streaming platforms uh i've got slight problems with that because they are quite algorithm driven and uh yeah, the human touch is away from them. but And I'm going to tie it back to the topic that you guys are, are talking about. Uh, music supervisors and other kind of curators. Uh, I guess a good example would be so Joker, which came out a couple of months ago, one of the biggest films of this year. Uh, the Joker soundtrack has been in the chart since. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the film, but the soundtrack to it is massively eclectic. Uh, the oldest song on there is from the 1940s, and they've got up to about the 1990s, early 2000s. Some of them are classical pieces, some of them prog rock pieces and all in between. Things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different topic. But, um, but So music supervisors, as one of the kind of, I guess, gateways for people to find music, have now become massive. Traditional radio and even traditional TV have become less avenues for people that are younger because they don't need them anymore. Yeah. Uh, if I want to find music, I can find it on my own terms or look for something that's either really credible or, in the case of Joker, very artistic and people have kind of gravitate towards that, I guess. So it's interesting that in terms of how you're saying how popular music comes to be and what people look for in terms of how they're searching for it, I think it's gone full circle so much that it's actually hit a new realm. And I think these topics that you talked about are interesting from an observational point of view because I also think they're evolving in a way they haven't done before. Many different reasons for that. But so I guess bringing it back again to the point you guys are talking on, has that affected your own roles? Do you think the fact that there were traditional set paths, let's say there were six, Go, go for the last 40, 50, 60 decades of how people, if they weren't actively scouting for music, were shown music. Now the fact that that has splintered, has that affected how you guys go about your roles? I,
5: I, think, I think there's a real danger that, that we, th- we think that all the music that's ever been written has been written and that there's never going to be any stuff in the future. So hopefully, not, I'm not saying that, but you still need to write it It's all very well being able to gather it up and put it out there and program it and things. But there still needs to be people who have the initial creative talent to write a piece of music that you're suddenly going to think, I've never heard that before, but uh, I'm going to adopt it now as my wonderful next stage of life. Or it's it's going to make me remember where I am now. or It's going to to do something for me. At at the moment, I think, uh, I can't I mean, there are, yes. I mean, it's gen- like you say, generalisation. It's not true because there are some songs that do that, but the ones looking back into seventy one or whatever, they there were more that did than than didn't. And at the moment, I think there are more that didn't that do.
0: I think um, I'm going to start to sum up a little bit now because I'd, I'd like you to help. Yeah, of course. So.
2: When we last met, when we were just prepping, we spoke about lyrics, and um, some of the songs in the seventies had some very interesting lyrics, and there were some very interesting stories that were being exchanged. And we have at the Sound Lounge, uh, we question whether or not some of the creatives actually listen to the lyrics that are uh, being sung, and so and they adopt these songs because they don't know what they mean. So we say. There she goes, the Lars, which was used for piano ferries, which is about somebody shooting up heroin. So uh, Bob was telling us a story about the summer of '69, which uh, has some very interesting lyrics, and we'll just stop at the '69 um, as to what it meant. So ha- why aren't the creatives why aren't the creatives using resources like Bob, who actually understand the provenance of those tracks uh, and understand what it means? And what it—it's not just fitting to a picture, but it's—it's it's actually resonating on a different level. And I—I f- I find sometimes, and this is a personal me being uh, uh, Victor Mildrew, which my team are, are used yeah. to, is—and the young people who don't know who Victor Mildrue was, he was somebody who got to my age and continued complained. Mm-hmm. But it's—it's it's that whole um, not listening and—and and the the. The experience is that sometimes when we have the conversation with the music supervisor, actually has the conversation with the creatives, we get to the point very quickly. And I think one of the issues that we have, and there's two things I'm talking about here, I appreciate that, is that um, TV producers get in the way. And I know they'll deliver you an elephant or a panther, but they get in the way sometimes of the creative process with the music supervisor. And I just wanted to pose that as two questions to you. So I've hugged the mic. No, it's, it, it's,
4: it's a blind spot. It's usually
2: um, pointed out by
4: our whoever the competitor is in the market. You know, we, we get writs and litigation for the most bizarre stuff. And we know where it's coming from. Most of uh, the general public kind of just ride with it, I think. But when you get uh, veiled obscenity or um, if there's issues with uh, racism again or, I don't know, it's, that is a tricky, because each individual case is a separate thing. But I would have thought um, any problems like that would have been rinsed out. I don't think that, uh, I just think it's to do with rigour, isn't it? It's to do with doing your homework and all that. And But life being what it is, you're going to drop bollocks occasionally, aren't you? And people say, "Oh, you didn't even stand." That was all about dropping whatever, and 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 there are horrendous examples of it. But also the thing about it's another subject, and there's no time. Plagiarism, you know, or, or veiled, or you know, passing off. That's a, that's hours worth of chat, isn't it? And it's like, and alerting the publisher and the license. Uh, he, to the fact you're interested, and they won't play, and then suddenly something comes out that's in that realm. And and also just um, the other thing, I think, as a a separate, a lot of people do get quite pissed off about us raiding their back catalogue in their heads. And I think some people are um, offended (laughs) by the usage of a beautiful track that they've grown up with and always loved, and suddenly it's got, um, air. it's selling arrows, or oh, Christ knows what. It's like, hang on, don't mess with my brain. It's very difficult, isn't it? You're never ever gonna please.
0: I, I think in that respect, Neil, you That's know, right. the, the, the thing that I find very, actually genuinely offensive about, about that possibility is say, like for example, how they've managed to get clearance on it, but they're using David, I can't remember what product, but David Bowie's Starman. Yeah. And and Jimmy recently, Jimmy Hendrix, uh, all along the Watchtower. Now I per se I don't really mind personally them using those tracks, but what I do object to is them cutting those tracks up to make them almost unrecognizable to sort of fit cuts in the in the visuals. And that they, they've hacked the, the the David Bowie track, and all along the Watchtower, it's just hacked to pieces. Now I really object to that. I think that. You because know, I can't understand what they're gaining by by using a piece of music that we love so much, and yet completely wrecking it to fit an ad that it doesn't seem and, and anyway. You, and you can't remember what the ad was about, no, so it's obviously not, not worked anyway. Yeah. So yeah. yeah.
5: yeah.
4: But then you got Blitzer, not maybe five, seven years ago, blowing in the wind, kind of just crossed it with uh, the co-op in as much as the co-op being the co-op before all that crisis. But the altruism of the co-op and blowing in the wind, I remember seeing that and wanting to be offended and then thinking, actually, that's not a bad idea. But then perhaps I'm just an old ad man.
0: So what what key points do you think have have come out of this discussion this evening? What is the consensus of, of... We've been off topic so much. <laughs> There've been so many. <laughs> I, I,
5: I can give you one. I think is it's not just with music. It's with all sorts of advertising. It's be true to the brand, and if the music
0: fits, wear it. If it doesn't, then look for something else. Because there's a there is a delicious. I, I mean, I do think it is. A, it's like chicken and eggs. And out in John Bernie Torpin aspect of this as well, isn't there? The, you know, the, the, which comes first? I mean, you know, you alluded to the fact that some ads are built around the music. We've also said that the music on other ads comes in so late, it's sort of thrown at it at the last minute. It is that thing, isn't it, of, of the balance between things working together and the process to help those things work together.
4: And part of it is, is back to the old thing about standing out and I think sometimes I've done it, I, you know. I think, oh, that, that track will go with there and it, and it works. But it's actually, it doesn't really, you know, it's not. Um, however, many good ads you, you might think you do, but I think the ones that I, my favourites are always the ones where I think, oh, Jesus, who, who thought of doing that? And also, and it takes its lead from, I think, um, films and say, at the moment, I'm. I'm very much taken, or, or, or series, um, with succession. Say you've got succession there, which is a um, fabulous uh, guy, Britell, I think he's called, and he does that old trick of um, that Thomas Newman does, of uh, discordant pianos, and that shouldn't work, and Jesus, it works. Why does that work? And, it, and it's unsettling, but at the same time, it has a kind of um, stay with your quality. Over and above the melody, And I, I just think the more experiment and um, mischief you can put into the choice of music, the, the more your chance of the ad actually ending up being around a long time.
0: There was an interesting little example of this, even just recently. The Beach Boys, "Wouldn't It Be Nice," was used on the Sky ad, um, and at the same, almost simultaneously the same piece of music was used to accompany an extremely violent video game. So you've got that, that same piece of music used, and the, obviously the, it worked in a completely different way, one to the other. I mean, with the Sky ad, uh, it was lovely Lily James, uh, uh, was, was the main, she was the main character in the Sky ad, and wouldn't it be nice? And it was light and pretty and fluffy and lovely. And then you hear the same piece of music against a horrible, violent yeah. backdrop and it changes the emphasis of it completely. And it's been a, a such a pleasure to, to spend time in the company of these two great <laughs> gentlemen. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I mean, if you both have any concluding <laughs> thoughts uh, uh, with which to send us into the night um, based on the discussions we've had this evening, that would be... Music fun. is
5: like smells and and things things that are always with you and they can make you feel like the world's a great place or if you want to feel that the world's a shit place then they can make they can do that as well but it should never be ignored and it should never be so-so it should it should be something which like you were saying it, it lasts because it takes you forward but it also brings you back to different places
0: now
4: just one thing about um one thing we're not covered is the dearth of live opportunities and uh, and i think you know going back to the 71 thing or way back where you think well the opportunities for live music have diminished and i don't know where i live it's all cover bands and I don't think... Uh, I've also been spending a lot of time in Ireland where you've got the flip side of the coin where everyone seems to be in the pub. All right, trad stuff. But I do think that's had an effect, a debilitating effect on originality of, um, of bands and singer-songwriters and opportunities to, um, to actually play in public aren't what they used to be. But that's another s- subject entirely. But... I do think it just, for me, it just uh, um, kind of shows how bloody complex it is to get a decent piece of work away, to be honest, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. music attached. Yeah. But it's all, for me,
0: music's always, unfortunately, the bridesmaid to the idea. So OK, so what, this, this is the final question then, but just on that point, because uh, an ad that I really like, is it the Strongbow ad, where you've got the two lads singing uh, Electric Dreams yeah. in, the, in the pub? Um, and everybody gradually uh, joins in together in electric dreams Now I, I actually love that yeah, that adorable. ad it, it really is but Ricky Ross who's a friend of mine, Ricky hates it with a passion <laughs> because it kind of stereo he says it stereotypes that kind of performance like that- just just so the, the final thought then, because effectively what we're seeing on that ad is a live performance, isn't yeah. it? So what do you think about that particular ad and the use of music and that song in that ad?
4: But I think it's a faux can... thing. It's a faux. It's not real, is it? I, I don't know. I'm not saying it should be completely verite, but it, if it's something which purports to be a live performance, I think it's a different film. Mm. But I, I, then it, in itself it just shows you how polarizing music is doesn't it yeah. uh, and and then you're drawn to a center ground where you think ah that's your market and uh, everybody loves take that um, or whoever it is um, queen or something like that and the temptation is to invest in in the in the in the broad rank of the you know the great unwashed as it were <laughs> but I, I think it's hard to get novel people in i'm not answering your question by the way but mm-hmm. it's hard to get new music let's say or exciting or um experimental stuff or even i don't know steve reich or Reich or someone who's uh unknown into that mix because into that milieu because people there's safety in numbers mm-hmm. and and i think that affects a lot of ads 90% of ads that you're hearing and seeing that you think oh yeah they've chosen that because it's comfy slippers Yeah. yeah anyway going on
0: and on about that well thank you so much this is Neil Lancaster this is Harry Shaw thank you so much
1: that's it for another episode If you want to find out more about the event series, go to www.aneveningwithbob.com where you'll also find videos of the event highlights and interviews with Bob, Ruth and all the other guests. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to soundlounge.co.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. See you next time. Sound Lounge.